Hi, and welcome to Bloody Good Reads, the new fiction-based podcast from us at Snakebite Horror. Um, I'm your host, Mark Goddard. You'll remember me from the Snakebite Horrorcast and the Franchise Players podcast. And today, we're on episode four of Bloody Good Reads, and we have yet another brilliant author, someone I'm actually quite very excited to uh, get into conversation about on some of his other style of books. We all, we've been talking about horror books for so so long to all the previous guests, but it's, it's part, part of... Um, Tim LeBond's uh, career that I really want to kind of dive into. Um, but yes, to kind of spoil the surprise, but our, uh, our guest today is Tim LeBond. Welcome to uh, the podcast. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for having me. Very, very excited to be here. I'm fully loaded with uh, a big glass of red wine and raring to go. Brilliant. <laughs> and I'm, full, I'm, I'm full of coffee and let's just see, let's see how I get through the evening. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. Um, on our podcast, we uh, basically talk to brilliant horror authors like yourself and we get them to bring three books to their choice which is i promise not a rip off of uh, desert island discs <laughs> yeah. we try not to anyway yeah it's a great idea i often listen to or occasionally sort of catch desert island discs if, if there's someone i'm interested in on there and um mm. it would be a great idea to have a book version so yeah you preempted mm-hmm. and and as horror you know horror readers and horror writers um we all start from somewhere and we all have a book that kind of got us into the genre. So let me segue into that. What got you into horror? Well, I can remember the book that got me into horror was The Rats by James Herbert, which my mother gave me to read when I was, I think it was 10 years old. Uh, so oh. I had a very little mum, you know, she was, she was, um, it's because my mum got, you know, got me really into, developed a love of reading in me. And mm. before that I was reading stuff like, uh, the Willard Price adventure books and Christine at Blyton and, and all the, you know, kids books. So I was reading younger kids books and then mum said, give this mm-hmm. a try. It was, it was the rats and it, that got me into horror instantly and changed my, my whole reading life. And from that moment on, didn't really go back. You know, I consumed all the James Herbert stuff and then got on to Stephen King, Clyde Barker, and then had a weird couple of years where they were the only three writers I was reading really. I, I was, mm. you know, I was, I was consuming their stuff and reading it again and again and again. I thought to myself, there can't possibly be anything better than this. And then I started branching out in my sort of early teens, and the whole whole world of horror opened up for me, which was great. So yeah, I'd like to thank James. I'd like to thank the Rats very much. A lot of people seem to to kind of go to Rats. I know David Moody had them last week. He uh, he picked Minion as his uh, as one of his choices. All oh, right, kind of really said you know, when he was younger that's one of the ones he goes for it's very interesting i still have red rats i need to need to get that one to go yeah i'm i'm never going to return to them i don't think because it would probably not be a letdown as such but because i read it you know i read the book 41 years ago and that's bloody mm-hmm. scary um yeah they say often don't go back it's not often I, it's not very often i reread books at all in mm-hmm. fact one of my list the three that we'll talk about later is a book but one of the few books I've reread, but no, I'm 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 happy just uh, wallowing in the in the ratty nostalgia and not reading them again. <laughs> I'm the same. I'm the same. I, I very rarely go back and reread, but normally, yeah. if a book's that good, it'll stay with you. Um, Absolutely, yeah, yeah. But uh, you're talking about books, of course. You are an author yourself. Um, mm-hmm. So, when did you first really get into writing? I mean. Was it with Mesmer, or which is was that ninety seven? You released Mesmer seven, my first book, my first novel, yeah. Mesmer. Um, I think I was how old was I then? So I was seventy nine. I was twenty eight when that came out, but I've been writing since I was since I was uh, preteen. Really, I I, hmm. I started writing stuff in my when I was eight, nine, ten. I always always loved writing in school. The essay assignments that you get in English, they give you a list of essay hmm. types for the year, and I'd write them all in the first week really piss off the teacher <laughs> so i've always written through my teens through my teens i was writing sort of military thrillers and and uh, espionage books and stuff like that and ripping off mm-hmm. colin forbes you know he's he's a writer that's written a lot of stuff about world war Two. and then i wrote a short story in my early 20s called black heart which was uh, the first horror story i wrote and mm-hmm. from that moment on everything i wrote was horror tinged or, or you know fantastical in some way or another and then mesmer um, I wrote in my mid twenties and heard about Tamsin who were looking for novels and I sent it to them and they accepted it. So my first novel was accepted by the first publisher I sent it to, which if only it was still that easy all the time. 
Mm. So that's a that's a lucky situation to be in. It was really good, yeah, yeah. And actually, Mesmer, uh, maybe, maybe I'll, I'll find this and release it one day. But it was actually sixty thousand words long when I wrote it. And Tantrum were only looking at novels up to forty thousand, so I cut twenty thousand words from it before I submitted it. Do you ever consider re-releasing it, or as a, as a bigger version? Yeah, literally, it's just crossed my mind now, and uh, I honestly don't think I have. You know, uh, uh, back in that time, I was working on a an old Amstrad computer with those funny shaped rectangular discs. And I, I mm-hmm. haven't got the discs <laughs> anymore, so so that the cut twenty thousand twenty thousand words are in the ether somewhere, never to be seen again. Unfortunately, that could oh, be quite. Okay. Where did you go from Mesmer? Because you released a lot of novellas. And I know Hush was 2002. I mean, was it more novellas that you kind of stuck with before you went on to your next novel? Blimey, I'm trying to cast my mind back now. It's a long time ago. <laughs> my memory is terrible when it comes to what I had for breakfast yesterday. So, yeah, Mesmer was 97. And around that time, I was writing a lot of short stories for um, the British indie press, British small mm. press at the time we called it. So magazines like Peeping Tom, uh, Night Dreams, Third Alternative, which became Black Static, um, Dreams from the Strangers Cafe, Grotesque, all these fantastic small press magazines. And I, I wrote I wrote like 40 or 50 stories for those magazines. Again, I've still got those somewhere packed up in the attic. Uh, but at the same time, I was writing novellas. And I went through, like you say, around that time, I went through a phase of writing probably three or four novellas a year and getting them published. Uh, first of all, in Faith in the Flesh, the, the two novella collection from Razorblade. And then mm-hmm. a couple of standalone ones like um, White and um, Naming of Parts for PS. I really love, I still love writing novellas now. I just write so, you know, hardly any of them because it's a, uh, you know, I, I write for a living now and novellas are a big input of time for for a sort of a small <laughs> payoff, sounding horribly, mm-hmm. horribly mercenary. But I do still love writing them. And if I've said a few times, if I can make a living writing novellas, I'd do it. But it's very difficult to do, unfortunately. Mm. I suppose it's more money in, in, in novels really, isn't there? So Yeah, I mean just because of the just because of the publishing trend really. If I've always thought if a if a big publisher decided to start a novella line at a horror novella line, I think it you know, there's 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 a market for it. And I oh, think definitely. it would I mean, take off, you know. I mean yeah. there's some amazing novellas out there. I mean you could class I'm gonna say it again for the fourth podcast in a row, I am legends kind of a, a novella. So yeah. that's yeah, yeah. huge. That's that's what that's my number one. Uh, no, the number three book <laughs> that I can suggest oh, yeah, is right, I Legend. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, well, yeah, know, yeah, I mean... Most, uh, most Stephen King short stories are novellas as well. So. Yeah. <laughs> and make, make some of the best movies. So. <laughs> yes, they do. Yeah. You, know, you wrote a lot of horror throughout the years coming up. And one thing I do want to ask you about is um, your fantasy series was more fantasy horror. It's Dusk. Yeah. What was the idea behind that one? So I'd always, I'd never mm. read an awful lot of fantasy, but the fantasy I'd read, there'd always been magic systems, and not always, but often it's an alternate society with a magic system and rules for the magic system and whole new societies and flora and fauna and religions. And it was all, it, it, it piqued my interest. I love world building. So I, I, most of my, in fact, all my writing up to then have been pretty contemporary. I'd, I'd written a few mm. sort of uh, historical short stories, but mostly mostly contemporary in the world that we know. So my world building's already done for me. So it piqued my interest to, to try something where I, I build a whole new world from the ground up, as it were. Um, and being being me, it, it turned out pretty dark. And I, I can remember thinking, oh, shit, I've got to come up with a whole new, whole sort of magic system. And I found the whole idea <laughs> of that quite difficult because if there's magic, you need to put limits on it. Otherwise... Everything's too easy. Um, mm. So I thought to myself, what about a novel set in a fantasy world where the magic doesn't exist anymore because humans have misused it? And that's mm. where that came about. It, so it, in, a, <laughs> in effect, it's a, it's a post-apocalyptic fantasy novel. because so I, I destroyed our world several times by then, and I've done mm. so many times since. So I, it was time to sort of destroy another world, really. <laughs> And, and the, the world building, I loved. I really enjoyed it so much. And I, I actually wrote four, four novels set in Narila, which is an anagram of Helen and my daughter. Oh, that's nice. uh, the, the one story in two, and then it was Fallen, which is one of the favourite novels I've written, and The Island. And I'd have continued if the, if my sort of publisher wanted me to. I still 
daydream about going back to Nerila at some point. I, I wrote a couple of novellas set there as well and a couple of short stories. Mm. Uh, but it was just spreading my wings as well, trying something different and, and, and trying to be fresh about it. And I think yeah. at the time Dust came out, I probably had four or five horror novels out. Mm. So I just wanted to try something a little bit different and I really enjoyed it. But they, to be, they were horror novels set in the fantasy world that I destroyed. So pretty trademark eleven, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's nice to kind of break it up because, you know, like I said, you, you must have had quite a few different novels in between kind of writing them. So it must be nice to mm. kind of just jump out of horror every now and again and refresh your, refresh your mind. Because <laughs> horror can be quite dark. <laughs> yeah. I'm looking at my book covers on the wall now. So I think, I think when I wrote Dusk, by the time I'd written mm. By the time I was writing Dusk, I'd had um, at least five horror novels out through Leisure, I think. Mm. Um, Did that Berserk and Desolation, that yeah, kind of ones? Yeah. Berserk, yeah, yeah. Berserk, Desolation, Face, The Everlasting, and Nature of Balance. Mm. Uh, and I'm pretty sure it was after all those that I started writing Dusk. Because writing Dusk sort of partly ended my sort of relationship with Leisure, I think, really. It turned out to be no bad thing, really. And it was, it was, it was definitely time to move on. I know the story behind Leisure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. Less less said about that one, the better. <laughs> yeah, no, I was happy. I was happy to write for Leisure at the time. I was writing for them. Don Doria was, you know, he was a passionate uh, horror editor and still is. Um, mm. And I had good, I had good, good times with Leisure, and, and they for everything that happened there and everything um, people think about them and say about them, they they got the books out there and got them noticed. Mm. I'm, I'm pretty sure Berserk is one of my best selling novels still. Yeah, I think Berserk was the one I remember from you being from a leisure one of the leisure books. So Yeah, yeah. 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 That's gonna be a great cover, to be honest. The scary child on the cover. It was brilliant. It's a brilliant cover. I do love the cover of Berserk, actually. <laughs> it's one of my favourite covers of yours, actually. Yeah. The book after that was everlasting. But I'm looking at the cover now. There's a skull and a book and a candle and an envelope. It's the fucking mm. worst horror cover I've ever seen. And uh yeah, I was told, <laughs> Oh, don't worry, we know what we're doing and they didn't. Anyway, <laughs> digress. <laughs> also love the cover of Relics, but we're going to Relics later. Um, so let's go into okay. your first choice. So what is the first book you've chosen to bring hmm. in to us today? Well, earlier I said that only one of my, cho- my, my choices I've reread, but uh, it, it actually turns out it's two. But this, this is a book that I read several times before I was 30, and it's The Stand by Stephen King. And okay. I suspect it's probably not. I don't know if it's the first time it's been chosen, but um, it is for me. On, on, so far, it's been the first one chosen. So really, right? Okay. So <laughs> for me, it, if if King were listening to this, he'd probably hate me saying it. But I think it's still one of his best novels. Mm. Every writer got one of those. You know, I've got one. I've got people who still come up and you say, "Oh, did you write White?" Oh my god! I say, "Yeah, thanks." That was like twenty-five years ago. <laughs> Have you read anything since? And King must think that. <laughs> sometimes. Well, mm. But for me, the stand. When I read it in my early 20s, maybe late teens, early 20s, mm. and it opened up a whole new world. The stand is probably the reason I still like destroying the world up to today. It's almost a definitive horror novel, I think. Ending aside, I don't think it's the best ending, but the ambition behind the novel is still stunning, I think. The characterization is amazing. And even though I probably read it, I probably read the original version twice and the extended version twice. And probably and the last time. Yes, massive. Jesus, massive. Mm. The last time I read it was probably 20 years ago. I still remember all the characters and most of the action. And that's not something I can say about many books I've read. Mm. You know, I, 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 I can talk about books I read last year. I remember them being really good, but I can't remember much about them, which is a weird memory thing. But The Stand is, is like a, it's like the perfect film in my mind, which they're never going to make of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> many efforts aside. and yeah it's it's just i wouldn't say it's king at the height of his powers because i i i think his career has come in cycles and he's in a, 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 a top part of it again now i think but it's certainly mm-hmm. i think many king readers will put, put it up there with his best and it's like the definitive end of the world novel it's so brilliantly mm-hmm. done it's one I've got. It sits on my bookshelf. I've tried it twice. I've tried it twice, and it's a big book. It's a oh, lot really? of uh, yeah. It's a lot of 
lot of time to go into that one. Should I, I don't have any more. <laughs> but it's one I do want to no. read, especially when my daughter grows up a bit more. I, I, I will have more time to actually read more. Yeah, I've got it on my shelf now that I, I bought it again several years ago. So I, I lent my copy out, it's disappeared, but I bought it again a few years ago and I still haven't got the impetus to sit and reread it. But it's just, like you say, it's the time. I know it'll take me a couple of months. I read like a book every fortnight now if I'm lucky. Mm. King's going to, you know, the stand will take me a couple of months. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> it's always one of those, I think, right, I'm going to take this on holiday with me and read it in a week. And I, I don't take it. Sorry, it, it's standing, it's on my shelf teasing me. One day. One day. Maybe. Mean. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> so segueing from, from King and going into novelizations, which is something I'm quite interested to talk to you about. You've done right. a lot of kind of TV and movie kind of adaptations. Uh, I know you've done Star Wars, Aliens, Kong, Cabin in the Woods. Yeah. How different is it writing novelizations compared to writing novels? Because obviously you, you, you're writing via obviously a, a source material, I'm, I'm assuming, because obviously you've got Cabin in the Woods and Kong. But do you have to yeah. write them? Do you, are you writing them before the movie actually goes goes out or is it after? It's, it's interesting because I'm not sure what the process of that. Yeah, well, well there's sort of two or three different things, actually. So so novelizations like Kong, Cabin in the Woods, and 30 Days to Night, I'm sent the script, and I turn the script into a novel. And it's it's, it's that simple and that difficult as well. You know, so if, if I'm lucky and I'm sent an uh, e-version of the, the script, I, I cut and paste it into a Word document and basically novelize each scene. So expand the character, expand all the internal thoughts of the characters, expand some of the action, uh, add add scenes, which I've done, but generally you're not allowed to take scenes away. And often, often that's even the case with the dialogue. You you shouldn't you can't change the dialogue. You can add to it, but you can't change what's already there. You can't take stuff away. Mm. It's certainly not right by numbers because I I think I I put a lot of effort into making my novelizations flow like novels as opposed to read like movies. If you know what I mean. Mm. Mm. And, I, and I think people generally have quite liked what I've done with the novelizations. And they're good fun to do, and they're quick because the storyline's there. You don't have to agonize over what each character is going to do next because it's there on the page for you. You just—it's mm. almost like you've it's written. Make a plan. Flow. Yeah, it's almost like you've written a really detailed novel plan yourself, and then writing it is just finishing it off. You know, so that's novelization mm. for Thirty Days of Night, for instance. I wrote an original Thirty Days of Night novel set in London called Fear of the Dark. So, so that was it was like my original Thirty Days of Night novel, but. It, what it basically turned into is my London vampire novel with a very vague link to the 30 days of night universe. <laughs> and then there's the original novels set in other people's sandboxes, like a couple of Hellboy novels I've written, Star Wars, got a Firefly novel coming out soon. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah. And uh, probably, uh, and all obviously the alien predator stuff as well. Yeah. Mm. And they're original novels set in other people's worlds, other people's creations. And they're, you get a lot more. I get a lot more freedom with them generally. Uh, so the Hellboy stuff, for instance, I came up with the whole storyline and used used the established characters, but also created characters of my own. And generally, you have a fair amount of freedom. Um, the Alien Predator, the Alien, the Alien novel I wrote, the standalone Alien novel, was uh, the, the storyline was pitched by Fox, and I just uh, it was uh -huh. like a, a half a page half a page idea that I had to turn into a novel, which I had great great fun doing. That was a real total la uh, labor and love if, if, if anyone had said to me 20 years ago you're going to write a novel based on a property you love what's it going to be i said it's going to be an alien novel with ripley in it and that's what i got to do fantastic yeah it was incredible it was it was so much fun to do and then the rage war trilogy which was alien and predator very little um very little guidance or very little input really from fox or the publisher it was just we want a, a big space war trilogy with aliens and predators mm. so and that was fantastic fun I remember, sorry i remember remember reading the predator books and yeah. compared to how the movies turned out which were awful the books were really yeah. good and the comics were really good so you know it's, it's nice that they can be you know extended on in a different universe in book form it's, it's nice to see because not much yeah, really been done with those both, both, both of them uh the the movies haven't really gone very well recently <laughs> No, they haven't. They they definitely haven't. No, and I know I know they've been novelised and stuff. But um, yeah, you know, if you get involved with something like that, there, there's all I, I had some of the Predator and Alien fandom not liking what I did. Mm. It, on the whole, the reaction was very good. Mm. But there were, I mean, I'm a big Alien fan, 
but I'm not an alien. I'm, I don't live and breathe alien. Yeah. I don't know everything about the films or the backstories or the comics. I've not read the comics. So people who'd read the comics and knew every detail about it all said, you can't do this because this happened three years before your story. Oh, what the fuck? I don't know what you're on about. Uh, <laughs> it was For me, it was just great fun to be able to write something a bit mm. different. Basically, it was a sci-fi trilogy with monsters that I love. Uh, oh God, it was just, yeah, the, thinking back on it, what a great opportunity. And it was, and it was such good fun because there were so many, uh, I, I realized the scope of the story was so huge. I had so many groups of characters flying around the universe, mm. being having their faces bitten off and blowing shit up. Uh, I had trouble coming up with names. So I, I put a call out on my Facebook and said, does anyone, I'm writing an alien predator trilogy. Does, does any, anyone want to get, um, you know, killed horribly. And, and so I basically <laughs> wiped out most of my Facebook friendship group in those novels. Uh, was- That's <laughs> cool. That was really cool. So earlier we were, I was mentioning relics, which is, is it a trilogy yeah. relics? It is. Yeah. Yeah. So, that's kind of fantasy and horror mixed up, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm correct there. Yeah, so, well, it is. Yeah, it, it, it's sort of urban fantasy horror. Yeah, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah. So how did that, how did the idea of that one come up? So, so I actually wrote a short story called Relics. The first line of which is something like, I know where you can get a dragon's cock, uh, <laughs> which is a bit <laughs> wacky. Uh, yeah. Um, and the, the idea for the short story is, is what expanded into the novel. It, it's, it's the, um, mythological creatures. There's a trade. I suppose the idea comes from uh, trophy hunting. There's like rhinoceros horns and stuff like that. So in in my version of London, there's a trade in mythological creatures parts. So you can get a dragon's cock, angel wing, right, or angel feather, a cyclops head, things like that. Mm. So I thought I wrote the short story and it was good fun. And I thought that's definitely a novel here. And at the time, I was negotiating with Titan potential three book deal. The first of which would have been relics. Uh, the second and third novels would have been standalone novels. But my my editor at the time really, really pushed me to pitch the whole three books as relics novels, which I did, and that that's how it came about, really. And and I I sort of I think relics is the strongest of the three, and uh, I don't know if that's a good or bad thing to say. I think <laughs> it's a fantastic idea for a standalone novel. But what I tried to do with um, Folded Land and The Edge is to write very different novels featuring the same, it's set in the same world and featuring obviously a lot of the same characters, but not just continuations of relics. Yeah. So, um, the folded land, for instance, much is much more fantasy and the edge is, I guess, more horror in a way. And, mm-hmm. and not all, not all set in London, different settings, different characters. I did a bit of a George Martin. Don't fall in love with any characters because there's a good chance they won't make it to the end. <laughs> um, it, it's good fun writing it. I, it's made me realize I don't want to write a trilogy again because by the time you write the third book, you've forgotten what happened in the first book. And yeah. it's just a danger of fucking up, which I did once or twice. Um, <laughs> but it was, they, they were good fun to write. And you, you mentioned that you liked the, the cover on relics, didn't you? I do. Um, I love the cover of relics. I love all three covers. Mm. And, and often with my book covers, the, conversations are very quick and easy with the publisher with, with the artist or the, my editor mm. trying to uh, uh, sort out the covers for these three books was a real chore and really hard work and at the time the, the idea that my editor finally settled on for the cover of relics i didn't like at all but now those three books i think my three of my favorite covers mm. they've really grown on me and, and uh, the fact that the theme runs through with the wings on the three books is, is just, uh, I think they're fantastic. Really good. It does stand out. I'll give, I'll give you that. It does stand out quite nicely Yeah, on on the page. So, Yeah. And the color, I mean, one thing you could say for Titan, I mean, there's a lot of good things about working for Titan, but the, their mm. covers are always, always brilliant. Uh, oh, agree. Cover artist, um, you know, the silence was a superb cover. Uh, mm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they're great. So, what is your second book choice? Oh, right. Book number two. Okay. Yes, sorry. We're going straight into that. (laughs) No, that's fine. That's fine. So, book number two is nonfiction, and it's it's very much to do with my other, one of, uh, obviously, my family, my first passion. Writing is my second passion. Joint second passion is um, endurance sport and running and biking and swimming and Ironmans and stuff like that. 
Mm. So my second book is many reasons. It's it's called uh, A Life Without Limits by Chrissy Wellington. And Chrissy Wellington is a, a British triathlete, and she's the world. Um, she was the world Ironman champion, I think, four times in Kona. Okay, and she's utterly inspiring. She's and, and this book, A Life Without Limits, is it, it, it's about her triathlon journey, but it's also about anyone's journey towards anything they want to do. Just saying, don't put limits on yourself. Um, believe that you can do more than you believe is possible. Uh. And that's that's something that I've, I, I just sort of try and, you know, it's, it's not easy to live your life under that philosophy all the time. <clears throat> but when I, when I got into endurance sport 10 years ago, um, one of my favorite quotes, which I still use now that I heard back then was, uh, if you believe you can do something or you believe you can't, you're probably right. And this is something that Chrissy Wellington espouses as well all the time. And the other thing about her, she's, she's an amazing athlete. She's a great ambassador for the sport. Um, she's always bloody happy. She's always smiling and cheerful. And in fact, I think her Twitter handle is Chrissy Smiles. Uh, you <laughs> see her racing. She's smiling when she's racing. And uh, I just find it so inspiring. The book's fantastic. It, it's um, You can read it beginning to end or you can pick it up and dip in. It's a sort of autobiography. It's not really a guidebook about um, and, and the great thing about it is you can apply it to anything. You can apply it to your writing as well. So you can you can say to yourself, I want to write a novel, but I'm not sure I can. And then, But that's the wrong way to look at it. I want to write a novel, and I'm going to try, and I'm sure I can do it. She's just a really inspiring person, and I, I, I chose that because I didn't want to just choose to read fiction books. I read, oh. I read quite a bit of nonfiction now, and... Um, Many of many of your horror listeners are going. To, oh my god, what's he on about? But pick it up and give it a try. It's a fantastic no. book. Hey, I, I, readers in general, yeah, we all, we all love different types yeah. of genres. So you know, and yeah, non-fiction's yeah. Are, and, and non-fiction's are you know a good good um, genre to go with as well. So it doesn't have to yeah, be horror on here. <laughs> no, absolutely. Uh, I'm reading more and more of it as, mm. as a sort of you know I could talk a, a long time, but um, I tend to read. I guess I'll probably 30, 30 or 40% of what I read now is nonfiction, mm. ranging from science for idiots. You know, I, I'm quite interested in the whole quantum mechanics and stuff like that, but I, I'll, I'll read quantum mechanics for idiots and still not get it uh, <laughs> to um, World War II history books and, and all sorts of stuff. So, but it all feeds into your life as a writer. It all feeds into well, your, your, your outlook on life and your career and, I think any horror writer that just reads horror books, you know, quite possibly won't write very good horror because. Mm. Well, yeah, because uh, you can get, I mean, you can get inspiration and ideas from anywhere, really. I mean, I'm, the nonfiction yeah. stuff I would read would be more true crime, personally. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, you know, just book wise, most things I'd read you know, go from crime, horror, um, yeah. comics, <laughs> which I am a big Marvel fan, but, um, oh, right. you know, yeah. so. Just generally, just I mean, one of my other, other favorite kind of novels is uh, Wasp Factory by Ian Banks. It's one of my favorite ones. Oh, brilliant book. Yeah. Um, not particularly horror, but it, it, it can be horrific. But my kind of my third choice in my top three, when I had, I had to pick my own top three for this uh, for the, right. for the uh, podcast yeah. as well, is A Curious Incident of a Dog in the Night Time, which is oh, one of my great, favorite great books of all time. It's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. I love that. And the it's such Wasp a, Factory. It's heartbreaking. <laughs> the uh, Chris, Chris into knocked yeah. off nighttime, heartbreaking. Was factory, yeah, shocking ending. Love the ending of that book, but um, yeah, yeah my, my mum, my mum got the ending to that after after the yeah. first page. <laughs> but just generally, yeah. I mean, reading is reading, and you can get such enjoyment out of any kind of book you read that you love. Mm. You shouldn't really be judged by it's like 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 movies, and you know. We all got, yeah. our, you know, I could sit and watch horror films. Doesn't mean I got. It's not going to sit and watch Disney. You know, it's, you know, yeah, absolutely. Choice. You have to have a mixture in life. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think uh, Ian Banks is probably somebody who displays that perfectly. You know, you, mm. you can read the what actually, which, you know, it's not quite a horror novel, but it's almost there. And then he wrote mm. uh, Canal Dreams, which is a murder mystery, and uh, The Bridge, which is I don't know what you describe the bridge as. Um, <laughs> He's one of my one of my favorite writers, Ian Banks. And it was when he died. It was I, I haven't felt that upset at somebody's death who had, I didn't know mm. before. You know, yeah, him and Chris Cornell, basically. Mm. Yeah, 
no. you sort of get to know people by re- by you know uh, I'd spent my life reading in banks virtually my whole yeah. you know, I think I read from old um, boss factory in my mid twenties or something mm. and you sort of feel that you get to know these people in a way I I did meet him once at a bar totally shit faced <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, and he was shit faced as well. Hi, yeah. Tim. And that was it. Uh, I shook his hand, and that's that's my Ian Banks moment. But, um, he he's a nice guy. We had him in for um, for a book signing once when I was working at Waterstones, and oh, right. nicest guy, absolutely lovely guy. Um, yeah, mm. but yeah, um, yeah. Wasp Factory, I loved um, Wit. I've got there to read still. I'm uh, to that one. Crow Road was amazing, and, and even his later novel, Stone Mouth, is one of my favourite novels. Mm. Absolutely brilliant book. Um, I'll have to, I'll have to dive into it now. Yeah, oh, he's amazing. He's amazing. So, on the subject of, of movies again, um, Silence and Pay the Ghost, um, both? Yeah, so Pay the Ghost, Nicholas Gage, Silence was a movie on Netflix, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, you've got. Um, Pay the ghost must be nice to see Nick Cage and acting in one of yeah. acting at one of your your books. Yeah, that was that was wacky and surreal. And uh, I mean, uh, he's love him or hate him, and now I love him. Uh, <laughs> he, he put in a great turn in Pay the Ghost. I think mm. you know he does he does various things. Nick Cage sometimes he does the loony Nick Cage thing, mm. which I love anyway. And sometimes he does a great acting turn and I think pay the ghost. He was superb in, um, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't the dream experience I expected having, no. having some of your work at that be because I, I didn't get on set. I didn't have anything to do. Um, I saw the mm. first draft of the script years before it was made when the film was actually being made. I, I was, uh, I sort of kept it arm's length. I felt, which was a bit of a shame. Uh, That's but I shame. thought it came out really well. Yeah. I thought the film, I, uh, you know, I thought it was pretty decent. Um, mm. And I, I, I got to put on a, I did a premiere in uh, Newport, close to where I live, in a local mm. theatre for family and friends. So I hired a theatre for the night. I got a screener from the distribution company. Basically put on a, a UK premiere for family and friends, which was amazing. <laughs> yeah. So how, how about the silence? <laughs> yeah. Whole different experience. That, that was That was the dream. I, I've been told by people in the know who, who you know, had stuff optioned and possibly had stuff made that I, I got the dream experience for that. It was made. At, uh, I mean, it was out in 2015. The book was being filmed in 2018. So mm. amazingly quickly that it got from book to screen. All down to my LA manager, Michael Previtt, who got the producers together with the filmmakers. He got the whole team together, the dream team that made it happen. I got to step, got to be in the film. Went to LA to watch the screening at Netflix, and just amazing, uh, you know, utterly amazing experience. Uh, I've been very, very lucky to have two Hollywood movies made out of my books. There's not, you know, I know a lot of writers, and I don't know many who've been who've had that sort of stuff done. Um, mm. So yeah, what, what a great experience! I got to be a corpse in like, Stanley Tucci as well. You can't call that. <laughs> <laughs> it must be good. <laughs> so. After Relics and Silence, I mean, what other kind of, because I know you've worked a bit with Christopher Golden. Um, how was yeah. that working with somebody else? It must be must be difficult working with someone else. I know with David Moody, Moody and he's saying about his Bleed series, it's hard to yeah. write with other authors. But how did you find working with, with uh, Christopher Golden? We worked really well together, actually. We, we wrote our first novel together made, uh, maybe 10 years ago, Mind the Gap. Okay. Yeah. 10 or 12 years ago. And we started writing together because I got to know Chris because he was editing a Hellboy anthology, short story anthology. And he, mm. he emailed me and asked me to write a story for him. He said, hi, Tim. I don't think we've ever met, but I like his stuff and I'd like you to write me a Hellboy story. Mm. And I'd not read Hellboy. I didn't know it. And I replied, I said, sorry, I can't do it. I, and, he, <laughs> and he replied, he said, yes, you can. You're going to write me a Hellboy story. So he bullied me into doing it. Um <laughs> I had great fun doing it because I had to read all the comics and fell in love with Hellboy. And from that, from him pressuring me into writing a short story, we, we became, you know, we're, we're, I call him my American brother. We're very, very good friends now. Mm. We've holidayed together. I see him as much as I can. And we've written, um, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight novels together. And we're working on 
another novel together right now. So she did the Wild and Sea Walls, wasn't it? That's it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we, so the Hidden Cities series we wrote uh, together, which is Mind the Gap, Shadow Men, mm-hmm. Map of Moments, and uh, Chamber of Ten, and the, the, the Jack London trilogy, which you just mentioned, the Sea Walls and White Fangs and uh, the Wild, which. Uh, we also wrote the script for Fox. They optioned this. The, they optioned the trilogy. Wrote the script, which was never made, but it yeah. was good fun, you know. And we wrote a big fantasy novel called Blood of the Four together, which was published a couple of years ago, which um, we loved. And uh, we we were because it was a standalone novel. It was, again, a bit like Dusk and Dawn. It was a massive, dark fantasy novel. Mm. But we thought we're not going to write a trilogy. We're not going to write a decology that we'll never finish before we're 140 <laughs> where we're going to write a standalone fantasy novel that finishes reception it was received really well but unfortunately uh, we were hoping to write another but that, that sort of didn't pan out but yeah chris and i we, we it must be nice to have kind of like a, a nice relationship that you can both kind of write yeah. and bounce off each other it's really nice yeah it's nice because we we piss and moan to each other about about work all the time you know <laughs> but also work really well together mm. And because we know each other so well, we can we can say uh, no. Actually, what you wrote is really bad. We need to change that. Yeah, we, we we found we found a work system that works really well for us. It's always a pleasure, never a chore, to work on an, on something with Chris. Um, and because also you, you've got an edit going on at the same time as you're writing. So I, I'll write a chapter of something, which you know, as I say, we're working on something at the moment, um, and I'll send it to Chris, and he edits it and revises it, rewrites it, and writes his next chapter. So by the time you come to the end of the project, you sort of, it's sort of second draft already, sort mm-hmm. of um, gone through a big edit, and then we'll, we both read through it again and edit it. So it, it's, a, it's a different process from writing on your own, mm-hmm. which is a good thing, and we both like that. We both work quite differently, actually. And actually, I, I said before, our, our styles are quite different, and I think that's why it works so well. If our styles were very similar, it might be more difficult to work together, I think, which is a bit of an old thing to say. It's easy to bounce ideas. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. And we, we get on so well that we, we catch up, you know, we catch up a couple of times a week anyway, even if we're not working on something. Just talk about what, what what's going on in our lives and our work lives. And, and uh, but every book I've written with Chris, I've written all the good parts and he's written all the shitty parts. So anyone listening just needs to understand that. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> He'd agree. He'd totally agree. <laughs> He'd just say, Fuck you, Levin. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to get him on one day and he can say, tell his side of the story. <laughs> oh, yeah. Do that. do that, yeah. So let's segue into your final book choice. So what is the other last one? So this is another book that I, I reread recently. Um, the first one I mentioned, The Stand, I reread many years ago, but I think probably over the last 20 years, this is the only, maybe 15, 20 years, this is the only book I've reread, and it's The Tooth Fairy uh, by Graham Joyce. Okay. And Graham was a really good friend of mine. He passed away several years ago, as you probably know. Um, and he, he just wrote some of the most amazing novels. And if he, even if, if Graham wasn't, if Graham hadn't been a friend, he'd still would have been one of my favorite writers because of the beautiful novels he wrote. And The Tooth Fairy is one of his earlier novels, I guess, but it's mm. one that had the most effect on me when I read it. And I think probably because it's out of everything he wrote, it, it's got a sort of an Ian Banks quality to it in some ways. Yeah. Um, and also it, it really reminded me of small town England, small village England, which mm. is where I grew up in Devon, causing chaos with my cousin in a little village in, in Devon. And the, the book reminds me of that so much, the, the childhood friends causing trouble. We were never haunted by some supernatural apparition, but uh, Graham's, Graham's writing is always so human and humane and, and beautiful and shocking, and, and I, I can't help but read it in his voice as well. So I think it, I've, I've just been thinking recently I'll, I, I need to pick up another Graham novel and reread. So uh, it's, it's, it's so sad there's not going to be any new ones, you know. But yeah, he was he was a wonderful man. He was a charismatic and good looking and great to be around. And and I hated him in that <laughs> respect. But yeah. brilliant writer and full of great stories. I'd recommend the Tooth Fairy to anyone, absolutely anyone. 
And I know he'd been working on adapting it. Uh, I can't remember who'd optioned it, but I think he'd probably worked on a couple of scripts or okay, a couple of options for it. But mm. lovely. Maybe we'll, maybe, you know, that'll be a bit of a legacy. We'll see that on the screen one day. Hopefully. That'd be nice to see. It'd be nice to see. That's three really good choices. Uh, yeah, they're definitely going to be yeah. on my list to read. <laughs> yeah. All three of them. Good, good. But, uh, yeah. So, well, next novel that you'll, that you'll be releasing is Eden. Tell us a bit about your new book. Yeah, it was released in uh, April. Uh, yeah, it was yeah released in the height of lockdown. Yes. <laughs> which, which isn't the best time to release a novel, let me tell you, unfortunately. Mm. But, uh, yeah. So, Eden sort of combines... My, my love of endurance sport with my love of nature and my concern about climate change and my love of horror. So it's like a distillation of everything that I'm mm. quite passionate about, really. And it's near future. Uh, I sort of say it's set 15 minutes in the future. It's a near future novel about a world where climate change has accelerated and we passed the tipping point, but humanity's come together to try and save the world basically and to do that they've set up 13 massive um uh, areas that they call the virgin zones eden being the first and the largest mm-hmm. and these areas are abandoned humanity's excluded from them mm-hmm. and they're they're just given back to nature so it's not an it's not an experiment it's not a national park it's basically just giving these huge areas back to nature to let nature reestablish itself mm. so that these areas become the lungs of the world, clean the air. But humanity being what it is, humans being who they are, they become curious and they become daring. And uh, my novel follows a bunch of adventure racers who want to race across Eden, be the first to, to go from border to border and get across Eden in the fastest time. Mm. Uh, but in Eden nature's reestablished itself in really powerful ways and, and humanity is no longer its friend. So they get into Eden and shit starts to happen. So it's a, it's a sort of an adventure chase horror climate change story. Uh, I'm really, I think it's one of the best books I've written, I think. Mm. And pe- people reading it generally seem to be really loving it. There's mm. a couple of really shitty reviews on Amazon. Uh, you get them anyway. <laughs> You get them, and I don't care. You know, I, some people get really hung up on Amazon reviews. I just say, oh, what the hell? You know, if, if every review is a one star, I'd worry. But mm. you know, there's a couple of one stars, lots of five stars, and in between. So, but I, I, I do think it's one of the best novels I've written. Yeah, uh, it's a bit of a shame to release during lockdown because it's sort of affected a lot of. You know, it, I was going to be on my my first ever physical book tour around Britain, and that didn't happen, which is a bit of a shame. Um, and there was uh, Titan had a, a London Underground poster campaign ready for it, and that doesn't happen all the time. So no. that, that was a bit of a shame. Um, but I am exclusive. <laughs> I am sort of working on a, a possible adaptation. So yeah, probably can't say more than that just yet. But it's there's exciting stuff going on with Eden at the moment. No, it's good. And, uh, yeah. Definitely. Yeah, it's, it's it's exciting. So um, more more news as and when. Yeah, I look forward. Yeah, to, I, love I, love I look forward to hearing more news about it. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, I know you got your hush hush about it as well. So, <laughs> yeah, I probably shouldn't have said that. Actually, you can shoot me later. But uh, yeah, yeah. get that out. If you want me to? <laughs> no, that's fine. Let's leave that one in. <laughs> <laughs> so, what else are you working on now? Obviously, you just just released Eden, but as a writer, I know you'll be writing more. Yeah. So, what what what's uh, what's next for you? Well, I've written. I wrote a novel. Most I finished the novel during lockdown, which uh, I'm still. So it's a bit of a weird one. I actually hand wrote it in a in a big pile of notebooks that I'm looking at now, and they're daunting because I haven't typed it all in yet, and <laughs> that's taken me a long time. Um, in a way, it's 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 not it's not linked to Eden, but it, it's it's sort of a sister novel because it's uh, it's a climate climate change novel, mm. more of a thriller than it is. It's more it's less horror, more of a thriller. So I'm t- I'm, I'm working on that one um mm-hmm. and i've also been working on several tv projects all speculative stuff mm. one on my own and a couple collaborative with friends and a couple based on my own things you know covid has sort of put, put the universe on pause and it's put hollywood on pause for quite a long time but i'm still developing these things and and they're all they're all very different in where they are and how they're being developed you know mm. 
one one of them I'm writing, I'm co-writing a, a pilot script with a friend. Nice. For another one, we're just developing it to pitch stage, ready to start pitching to um, networks or big producers. So, but all these things is all speculative. There's no guarantee any of these are going to pay off. And in the TV world, there's very little chance that any of them are going to pay off. But I'd like to, you know, they're all, I think they're all great projects. They're really exciting. Okay. I've got another novel idea that I want to start working on very soon, actually, which is, funnily enough, in my head, it's, it's sort of a Graham Joyce, Ian Banks type novel in that it's UK set. It's, I think they both wrote quite um, autobiographically. Mm. And, uh, and and this, for me, this this new novel I'm thinking about is has got elements of autobiography. Okay. As, uh, you know, every, every writer is autobiographical in a way when mm. they work, but, th- but this is more... This is definitely, it's got aspects of my childhood in it. So, um, so lots of things going on. And <laughs> lots of things going on. Yeah. The TV stuff and a uh, new project with Chris Golden. My agent is shopping around. I, I wrote a graphic, not a graphic novel, sort of a heavily illustrated short story mm. with uh, the Sicilian artist, Danielle Serra, who's a fantastic artist, a good friend. So we, we've got this. So my agent's trying to sell that at the moment. Anyone's interested in it? heavily illustrated short story uh well novella really then you know where to go um <laughs> yeah there's, there's always lots uh, I, I i rarely work on one thing at a time yeah possibly to my detriment i don't know i i just find that i'm i like the scattershot approach um I, i've always got like a main project on the go which is usually a novel but mm. then always uh, dipping into other stuff and partly trying to spread my wings, partly trying to sort of not future proof, but if you've got several different projects and different, different media on the go, mm. there's a good chance that you, that, my, my big aim life. is, the, <laughs> yeah, yeah, my big aim is continue, continue writing for the rest of my life. Cause it's what I love doing. Yeah. There's a lot of uncertainty at the moment because of uh, what's happened, you know, in the yeah. world. And I, I, and I, I think in writing it's, be less immediate the impact obviously hollywood's uh, a bit not great at the moment it's grand to a halt no. largely and that's not great no. um no. but even in publishing i sort of slow down so uh, i think it's going to impact me you know in a much slower way than it impacts a lot of other people um but just you know i'm just keeping on working i work every day keep writing and getting stuff out there so good thank you for joining us here and bloody good reads uh, it's been amazing talking to you uh, tonight how can people get hold of you uh, on social medias if you would like to hear from people? <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, yeah, sure. Well, I'm on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, although, as from, funnily enough, as from tomorrow, I'm taking a bit of a break from both to to try and finish the novel that I was talking about. But I, mm-hmm. you know, it's in my notebooks. so I'm taking a little social media break. But uh, my website's uh, Tim Levin, www.timlevin.net. And uh, I'm on email, timlevin at gmail.com. And, you know, most of the time, apart from probably the next few weeks, I'm on social media uh, more than I should be, hence the break. <laughs> <laughs> it's very distracting. But yeah, I'm all in. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, it really is. Yeah, if I could just tap on it once a day, I'd, I'd stick on it. But um, I'm, I think like most people, it's a bit of, it becomes a bit of a tick. Yeah. A bit of a, uh, <laughs> yeah, addiction. So I, I, it's time to... I took a little break a few years ago, probably three years ago. I took I took a month off, and it was just wonderful. I got so much more reading done, mm. and it just I, I felt happier because, especially, I mean, especially at the moment, the next two months is going to be a great time to avoid social media. I think because oh, of the yeah. American shit. Um, yeah, so I, I took this month off and, and telling everyone, "Oh my god, that was amazing!" and then went straight back on and yeah. um, and broiled again. So, um, I think it's it's healthy to take a break from it sometimes. Oh yeah, definitely. This is why I don't, don't use Facebook anymore. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, right. That's no, I, I came out years ago. <laughs> just, just yeah, oh, really? yeah, yeah. You, you get enough of it sometimes, and it's yeah. I've only really used yeah. Twitter now to, for uh, for the podcasts and the website now. So uh, right, try, yeah, try and keep my personal stuff away from there. <laughs> the thing is, man, you know, but I, and, you know, for me, I just. I've got a lot of friends who are screenwriters or mm. directors or whatever, and they don't need it no. for what they do because they're, they're not selling stuff to the yeah. public. They're selling stuff to the producers and 
And I, but I sort of feel, you know, I sell stuff to publishers, but really I, I think for, for someone like me, I'm, you know, I'm a decidedly middleist writer. It just feels that I need to be a visible presence mm. on social media. And, and You're selling I do, I really like it. Yeah, in a way, in a way, and the publishers like that. And I, I really love interacting with readers, and it happens a lot, especially, you know, I get private messages on Facebook from Messenger and uh, Twitter from readers, and it's lovely 99% of the time. There's 1% you wish, oh. Didn't um, <laughs> you just block? You know, but no, like, <laughs> it, it, yeah, you know, it, it's it's lovely to interact with readers, and, mm. and um, not, not because, you know, it's nice to hear somebody's liked your book, but it's also good to get to know them get to know these people uh but yeah it's time just for a little little while off just to reboot and and get some solid work done done. yeah yeah so yeah so again thank you to paul tim lebon for joining us here on bloody good reads uh you can catch me on the social medias over at snakebite horror on twitter uh you can catch me on snakebite horror on instagram um, you can also catch me every fortnight on the Snake Bite Horrorcast. We are back recording. Uh, when this one goes out, you'll get the quiz episode, uh, Quiz Tactor 2. Who is going to win the big Quiz Tactor? Uh, and you've also got the next episode of the Horrorcast coming up, which will be me and the boys talking about Grand Piano and Host, uh, the Shudder sensation, which is Host. Um, so, yeah, that's a big couple of good episodes. And we'll be. Um, releasing the child play free episode of the franchise players podcast as well coming up soon um you can also catch us over on goodreads which is bloody good over on goodreads and yeah you can catch us over on any of the social media platforms spotify itunes uh, google play uh these any of them ones as well and catch us on there and again as always we'll see you next time